this thing on? Because it's getting ready to be on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bellringer. My name is Greg. Your guest name is Yanni Seren, Executive Director of the Albright Knox Art Gallery. We talk about his Art History 101 class in college, his path from Finland to Buffalo, perceptions that he once had, what he thinks now. We talk about the Public Art Initiative, Shark Girl, the Selfie Age, Instagram, and then we talk about the campus expansion plans that the Albright Knox has and the large donation that a Buffalo expat has endowed on his community. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is a great episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. So thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. We really appreciate your time. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So how did you get into art? Was it a natural draw, or was there a specific moment that that drew you to this career path? A little bit of a serendipitous path, I I suppose. Uh, I was certainly not an art history major uh, at the start of my collegiate career. I was a rower at Holy Cross, and political science was my major. I had to take a mandatory Art 101 course, and uh, one thing led to another, uh, basically a fantastic teacher or professor discovered me from amidst uh, a battalion of other (laughs) young art history takers that year. This was back in 1990. Um, She very much encouraged me to pursue art history, eventually became my advisor and uh, a sort of a counselor even beyond my collegiate career. So from a rower and a political science major I ended up into an art history major and then pursued my MA and PhD at NYU and my first job out of the gate was an assistant professorship at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem and one thing led to another again from there. So, In 2004 I became director of the Tampere Art Museum in my native Finland, was the youngest museum director in Scandinavia at the time and uh, three years later became director of the Helsinki Art Museum, one of the largest cultural organizations in Northern Europe. So you must have done quite well in the Art History 101 class then? I did. (laughs) I I didn't think I had done so well. Uh, We were basically asked to write a reaction paper and I was writing on a gothic gargoyle from the Worcester Art Museum and um, when I was called in by Professor Joanna Ziegler I was sure that it was because the effort I had put into the paper was not up to her expectations. So I walked into office hours with her with an apology on my lips. (laughs) And uh, I did not have to exercise that apology because she told me it was the best piece of art history writing she had read in two and a half decades of undergraduate teaching. Wow! And that was a bit of a revelation for me and I suppose in some respects for her as well. Mm. So then how did, you, how did you end up in Buffalo um, after that path? You talked about Helsinki, and yep. was this your next step then? Uh, Albright Knox was not written in the stars that I was able to read at the time that I was a museum director in Finland. Uh, I was a director in Finland for nine years, and in the fall of 2012, I received a call from a search consultant that was helping the Albright Knox Uh, in its search for the 11th director of the museum. And when I heard that it was about the Albright Knox, this call that I received, 
I immediately knew that I would be taking this proposition very seriously. Albright Knox is one of the greatest museums of modern and contemporary art anywhere in the world, and the very thought of being even considered for the position was one that uh, lit sparkles in my eyes. Of course, it was a little bit of a conversation with my with my wife. We have three children. They are young now. They were younger then. And when I asked her that evening after my initial phone call with the search consultant, honey, have you ever thought about buffalo? <laughs> and this conversation was had in Finnish. Her reply was, you mean the animal? <laughs> and uh, then we plunged a little deeper into the conversation. And, of course, very soon she was also a connoisseur on things Buffalonian and related to the Albright Knox. And that was back in September of 2012. I was appointed in early January of 2013 and have now been here uh, for almost six years. I've lived in 13 different cities, I think, in seven different countries uh, over the past five decades, and I've never been as happy as I am in Buffalo. So it's a great place. Yeah, so you, you kind of started to steal my question. What were your perceptions of Buffalo, not the animal, but the city, before you had come, and, and how have they changed since? Very positive from the outset. I remember landing here in early November of 2012, right after Sandy hit the eastern seaboard. All the materials that I was supposed to read in preparation for my first round interview had gotten soaked in the FedEx facility in Brooklyn. So I arrived here on a Sunday, and uh, instead of reading materials, I went exploring Allentown and ended up striking you know, half a dozen conversations with people I'd never met before. And it was an extraordinary experience in the sense that from the very outset, I somehow felt attuned to the friendliness and openness and kind of curious inquisitiveness of Buffalonians. And uh, as I got to know more people, uh, course on the board of directors first the search committee then the full board but also other people it was just remarkable how um, warm in an intelligent way warm uh, Buffalonians were and and are Um, I think it's a a fantastic community in so far as its diversity is concerned there's a, a, a real historical richness uh, to the fabric of Buffalo. Uh, I think the architecture is phenomenal, we all know that. Uh, I think the Olmsted Park system is just a beacon of excellence in its own right. I also feel that there is a strong sense of optimism these days in Buffalo. That has increased or become more amplified um, over the past five, six years that I've been here, I feel. Um, I think that the city has a lot of potential. I think we have a lot to be thankful for in so far as our public servants are concerned on the state, county, and city level, uh, whether it's you know Governor Cuomo or the Erie County Executive or Mayor Byron Brown, all of them are very focused in their own ways on advancing uh, Buffalo and Western New York uh, 
on the national and even the global arena. Mm-hmm. And we're often, I think the perception of us from outsiders is Buffalo is a sports town, blue collar sports town. Mm-hmm. And you, you listed you know, our architecture and praise, praise the people. How do you think Albright Knox plays into that and how can it kind of break that psyche and break that perception? Well, I think that I'm, first of all, very proud of the fact that Buffalo is a sports town and that we are a blue-collar city. I think that those are assets. Um, I also think that we have uh, a tremendous cultural ecosystem, and within that ecosystem, the Albright Knox represents, in some regards, a, a global player, meaning our peer group are the big museums of Europe and the United States. But at the same time, our peer group are the cultural institutions of our own region. Uh, This can sometimes be challenging because you're, in a sense, playing in multiple leagues. Um, The New York State Council on the Arts, or their former director, uh, once said to me that, Janne, you do realize that the Albright Knox is the only global cultural asset in New York State outside of Manhattan one can spin that ball in whichever direction one wishes, but in in many regards it is true that we are known far beyond the borders of Western New York and and really uh, sometimes I feel that people in Paris know the Albright Knox better than some of our own visitors here uh, in in the region. Um, it's It's one of the oldest museums of modern and contemporary art in the world. There aren't many institutions in Europe that are as old as we are and that have been as focused for as long on on the art of our time we have an extraordinary track record in picking out winners before the rest of the world realizes that this artist is a so-called winner so long before the world knew of Jackson Pollock we were collecting Jackson Pollock long before anybody had heard of Clifford Still we had 33 of his works finest works in the collection And, and that list goes on and on and on. So I think that uh, we have an important role to play as a driver of, of Buffalo's global front uh, because we have the collection and the history to be and occupy that position. Right. And even with that significance, you know, you mentioned people in Paris might know Albright Knox better than some of our own neighbors. Do you consider the museum it's kind of weird to say, but almost a, still a hidden gem to Absolutely. some folks. Absolutely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. In many ways, we are the art world's best-kept secret still. And I think that the campus development project that we are engaged in will somewhat change that state of affairs. It will lift the curtain uh, on the Albright Knox's position in the cultural ecosystem in the United States and beyond in a, in a significant way. But as of now, we are still a little bit of a hidden treasure. Yeah. And for folks that don't know, can you speak a little bit to, the, to that campus development program, the expansion plans, and some of the fundraising? Sure. So we are currently engaged uh, in the largest cultural capital project in the history of Western New York. Uh, that project will add a new building to the Albright Knox campus. It will address uh, the 
historic preservation of our existing buildings. It will add parkland. It will bury the parking lot. It will basically add another diamond to Buffalo's already diamond-studded necklace of architectural marvels. Um, the capital project, insofar as bricks and mortar is concerned, is valued at $155 million. Over the last two years, we have raised $131 million towards that target of 155. So we are 24 million short of our target. We estimate to break ground by the end of 2019 or early 2020. And we estimate that construction will last for about two years. So we will open uh, with a brand new facility and a brand new campus um, in late 2021 or early first half of 2022. And we will open as the Buffalo Albright Knox Gunlock Art Museum or Buffalo AKG for short. Uh, this, of course, in honor of our great 21st century patron, Jeffrey Gunlock, uh, a brilliant visionary business leader, uh, a polymath uh, who was able to discuss uh, the bills and football as elegantly and as aptly as he's able to discuss uh, fixed asset income projections for the future in the bond market. So he is really a remarkable individual. Uh, his total gift to the Albright Knox stands currently at $52.5 million, um, an extraordinary act of generosity, an extraordinary act of giving back to one's community. Uh, without him, we would not have been able to uh, conduct uh, such a successful capital campaign as we have uh, been able to. And uh, yeah, it's just a it's a remarkable period in the Albright Knox's and the future Albright Knox Gunlock Art Museum's trajectory. And at the same time, that trajectory dovetails with Buffalo's own 21st century renaissance. Right. And Jeffrey Gunlock is a, a Buffalo expat. What about Albright Knox and the museum? What nostalgia do you think draws people back that have left the community back to make such a significant impact? I, I think that um, it's when you're building a house, one thing you look for is a solid foundation, and we have a really solid foundation. We've got one of the greatest collections of art anywhere in the world insofar as modern and contemporary art is concerned. So insofar as the second half of the 19th century and the 20th century and into the 21st century is concerned, it is just a remarkably strong collection. And when you have that type of a collection, which is impossible, by the way, to create today, even if you had all the funds in the world, because the works are already spoken for that are in the collection, uh, that, provides, that foundation provides you with the bandwidth that is required for an investment into the capital, capital fabric, the architectural fabric of the institution. Because if you were just building a building for the sake of a building, the question then would come, well, what do you put on the walls? Right. We don't have any uh, lack or absence of works to put on the walls. We are able to show at any given time about 2% of our collection, 2.5, sometimes 3% of the collection, no more than that. And that means that we have so many treasures that do not 
regularly see the light of day, that there is a strong incentive to display this uh, team of winners. And by team of winners, I mean works of art that really rank among the greatest masterpieces uh, of their kind in the world. You mentioned in your five or six years in Buffalo, you've seen, you talked about the gallery, but also just the city itself, the optimism growing, vibrancy throughout the city, expanding. What role does public art play in that? I know the uh, Albright Knox Public Art Initiative has been very successful and and always expanding. What role does that play in our renaissance? I think it plays a big role. Uh, our public art initiative is now uh, coming to its five-year mark. We are the only museum in the United States that basically runs the public art program for its host city and county. So it's a uh, it's a exception uh, among its in our within our peer group. Uh, I like to think of the museum not as an entity that is confined within its walls, but an ent- as an entity that extends far beyond its walls. So yes, the museum has, in a sense, a headquarters or an operating base, but it really operates far beyond uh, that physical uh, campus as well. And I think public art is one of the clearest manifestations of how we uh, reach beyond our, our physical campus. Uh, I think that public art is about placemaking, it's about enhancing civic pride, it's about engaging the public in diverse different locations and circumstances, uh, it's about really incorporating the aspirations of people in neighborhoods and different parts of Western New York into the making of art because oftentimes these public art projects are not realized just in the solitude of an artist's studio but in collaboration between a given artist and people from the neighborhood. So it's a very socially engaging process that brings public art uh, to different parts of Western New York. And the very fact that our partners in this endeavor are the city of Buffalo and Erie County speaks to the fact that this is something that really bridges different uh, components of our community. I think that more people come into contact every year with our public art projects than walk through the doors of the museum proper. And sometimes we don't even really advertise the fact that some work is placed in a given location by us. We just let it happen and evolve and become a part of a neighborhood. I think that the idea of art going into neighborhoods and going into different parts of Western New York is very important also from the vantage point of how the residents in those parts of our community feel about their neighborhood. Uh, In Finland where I ran public art programs for nine years, first in Tampere and then in the capital city Helsinki, uh, it became very evident that when you placed a work of public art in a neighborhood uh, people started to feel very proud about the fact that they now had this new cultural edifice or this new place-making device, so to speak, uh, in their backyard, if you wish. Uh, it has 
wide-ranging impacts this art of public art ranging from increasing property values to uh, decreasing of vandalism in those areas and just generating a sense of civic pride. Uh, I think that the benefits um, of public art are multiple and in many ways they are so tangible and immediate that I wonder why more museums are not doing what we are doing with right. public art. Do you think the uh, the age of the selfie and Instagram and people always having a camera in their pocket, what do you think that, that's done to public art? I, I think that there's certainly uh, a relationality there. I think that the digital generations are certainly very attuned to the visual milieu that surrounds them. Um, it, it's a form of conversation that people are encouraged to have with works that they encounter. Also, public art is evolving as a concept. Not all public art is a stationary statue that will remain in a given location for a hundred years. It, it might be a performance, it might be an intervention on the side of a building that's there for a given amount of time and then migrates away. And I think that um, the people who have grown up and matured in the digital age see a certain affinity in this uh, flow of public art through their civic spaces that they feel a kinship towards. Um, I think that people find inquisitive ways to have conversations with public art with their smartphones and smart devices. And Do you have a favorite piece that's around town? Uh, I don't have a favorite piece around town. I think it very much depends on the mood, the weather, mm -hmm. uh, and the time of day almost. And I think that that's the wonderful thing about public art. It, it's almost like a menu of things where one day you may opt to have a spaghetti bolognese and the next day it may be a Caesar salad. And uh, when you think about public art, I think that that's sort of how one can relate to it. I, I've often felt when asked what's your favorite work of art that it's an impossible question to answer because it really depends on when that question is asked what the favorite one uh, might be at a given moment. Right. I think Shark Girl of course is there's something very special about Shark Girl because she was first. Right. She came out the gate right at the beginning She's become an icon of sorts in Western New York and certainly a, a, a selfie haven for, for children of all ages. So I think that there's something very special uh, about Shark Girl in that regard. Yeah, I think that probably ties most closely to my selfie and Instagram question. <laughs> yes. Um, so thank you very much for your time. Before we let you go, we have a couple Blizzard Round questions not related to the last 20 minutes that we've been talking. Uh, if, if you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be? Vanilla. A book or TV show that you'd recommend? Homeland. Text or phone call? Text. Bills or sabers? Sabers. Hiking or skiing? Both in combination with one another. And chicken wings, drumstick or flat? Drumstick. Great. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Great. 
Bell Ringer is a podcast by Invest Buffalo Niagara, the region's privately funded, nonprofit marketing and economic development organization. Please rate this podcast, follow our social media channels, and read our blog at buffaloniagara.org for the best of Buffalo Niagara. Come grow your business with us.